Okay. Welcome to uh, Think Jewish. This week's uh, class is called Holy War, the Compassionate War We Should Wage. Or another subtitle, which I changed it to later, was that because holy war is the only way to true love. So let's, let's talk about this. Why is this a topic today? Because we've entered into the Torah portion of Korach. And Korach was the first cousin of Moses and Aaron. And he went to war against Moses. It's the whole story about the war between Korach and his first cousins. Korach was no fool. Quite the contrary, our sages say, Korach pikachoya, he was a wise man. So what was, what was this whole rising up against Moses and Aaron? So I'm going to first give you the simple historic interpretation of the story, why they were fighting, why he stood up to fight. And then we'll go from there a little further. The simple historic story is that Moses' father, Amram, comes from the house of Levi, which were the leaders of the Jewish people in, in um, Egypt. Amram had four brothers. Amram was the oldest of the four. I'm sorry, he had three brothers. He was one of four brothers. He was the oldest. And thus it made sense that the leadership positions would first go to his two sons, which was Moses and Aaron. Moses became the leader, and Aaron became the high priest. Who should be getting the next position of leadership? And the answer is, the next one would be the oldest son of the second brother. That means Amram's oldest brother, the one right under him, his oldest son was Korach. Korach, the son of Yitzhar. The next position that became available for leadership was to be the leader of the tribe of, of the family of Kahat of the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi, we learned, was broken up into three families, was made up of three families, and Kahat was the primary one of importance that carried the holy vessels of the holy temple in the desert, the tabernacle. And to be the leader of that tribe was the next opening position. Moses jumped over Korach and he went to the son of the youngest brother, Elitzaphon ben Uziel. Elitzaphon, the son of Uziel. And that's why Korach went to war. And it was intellectual argument. He had a true and good reason. You know, the, the way of the Jewish people is that it works in chronological order of genealogy, and I'm next, and therefore the next position should have been mine. Why did you jump over me and go find the youngest uncle's son? Okay, that's the simple historical story. But I want to take you a little deeper and share with you the story according to Kabbalah. According to Kabbalah, this argument was a lot deeper than just who's going to be leader. Because if you pay attention to the story, Korach didn't fight for the leadership which he felt he deserved. What did he fight for? The position of high priest. He wanted to be the high priest instead of Aharon. So let's understand from a Kabbalistic point of view what is taking place here. According to Kabbalah, Levi represents the attribute of strictness. While the Kohen, the priesthood, represents the attribute of chesed, kindness. 
So what was really at war here was a war between these two great divine universal forces. Korach felt that because strictness is where you have truth, justice, and perfection, therefore it's important for he to be the high priest and through him should flow the divinity of the holy temple into the Jewish people, into all of creation, the entire universe. And that was his fight. His fight was that when it comes to kindness, many times kindness causes a perversity of the justice. We look away, we're compassionate, give him another chance. Kindness sometimes causes perversion. And therefore he said that here we need to have a Levi. We need to have strictness, the divine emanation of strictness and not the divine emanation of kindness. So you understand that this war was no fool's war. It was a serious, a serious spiritual war, a holy war. Okay, so we have the historic story, we have the Kabbalistic story, and now let's look what our sages have to say about this war of Korach. Rashi, who is actually a Cheder Malamit, he was a teacher in elementary school, Rav Shlomo Yitzchaki, he lived in France, and he's actually of the 11th century, 1040 to 1105 to be exact. Those were the years he lived. And Rashi's entire commentary is focused from his profession and therefore he created the most classical commentary on the Torah, on the Bible, which is seeking to know what the elementary child needs to know. He's not here to ask no profound questions. He's not here to dig into homiletics. He's here to understand when I learn with my students, plain, simple, elementary children that need to know the story. That's the only questions he asks, and that's the only commentary he gives. Rashi struggles with the opening verse of the story of Korach. Why? Because what it says over there is, Vayikach Korach, and Korach took. Doesn't say what he took. The next verse begins, and they stood up before Moses, and they began their complaints. They began their war. So Rashi, simply from the perspective of the mind of an elementary child, he asked a simple question, what did Korach take? And Korach took, what did he take? He doesn't ask the question, but the fact that he gives a commentary tells us that that's what's bothering him. So he leans on the interpretation of one of the most famous converts ever. His name was Unculus. He, our history tells us that he was the nephew of the Babylonian leader Titus. He converted and he actually translated the entire Torah into Aramaic. A very relied upon translation. And over there he uses the word Vayikach and he translates it not from the word he took but rather from the word he separated. And Rashi explains what does this mean? He separated himself onto the other side. There was Moses, there was Aaron with the Jewish people, and he took himself to the other side. 
he separated himself from the entire community and stood up and had a different opinion. So the word Vayikach and Korach took really means that he created a separation. What we call a machloket. What does a machloket mean? An argument, a separation of opinions. So now let's look what kind of separation did he create. So we have a most famous Mishnah in the famous book of Ethics of Our Fathers. And what does it say there? I'll read it for you inside to get the wording exactly right. It's a very famous one. And it says as follows. Any dispute that is for the sake of heaven is destined to endure. One that is not for the sake of heaven is not destined to endure. That's the fact. And now the Mishnah doesn't stop. He goes on. Which is a dispute that is for the sake of heaven? The disputes between the great sages Hillel and Shammai. The great arguments in the Talmud and the Mishnayot. Then he goes further. Which is a dispute that is not for the sake of heaven? And here he says, the dispute of Korach and all his company. So what do we see here? The Mishnah tells us that the dispute of Korach was not for the sake of heaven. That's what the Mishnah says. It was not L'Shem Shamayim, for the sake of heaven. Let's go and step back a moment. Didn't we just say two seconds ago that according to Kabbalah, the interpretation of the fight between Korach and Moses was all for the sake of heaven? Korach, being a Levi, said that we must look that the divinity should only flow through strictness, the Levi. We're looking for truth. We're looking for justice. We're looking for perfection. That can only happen through strictness. We need the people to refine themselves, to open themselves to be perfect vessels. We can't keep on looking away with compassion and kindness. So Korach's war, according to Kabbalah, was absolutely for the sake of heaven. It was the argument between Gvura and Chesed. It's very interesting, but in Kabbalistic teachings, the highest level is the internal level of the supernal crown, which is called the Holy Ancient Ones, Atika Kadisha. And over there, actually, we're taught that there is no two sides. There is only one side. So Korach was actually basing himself on some serious stuff here. This wasn't a personal fight. It was a fight because he was of the manifestation of Gvura as a tribe of Levi. Aaron was the manifestation of kindness. And for the sake of the glory and the honor of heaven, he felt that we need to use strictness as a high priest. We can't have the kindness and compassion and the looking away of Aaron. Aaron was a seeker of peace. Yet, what did the Mishnah just say? The Mishnah said clearly, which is a dispute that is not for the sake of heaven? Korach and his company. Korach Vadato. Seems to be a very interesting conflict here between what the Kabbalah is projecting the argument to be and what the Mishnah is projecting. And yet we're going to see that, of course, there is no arguments ultimately in the true and one Torah. So let's go ahead and look. Let's take a journey into a very interesting Hasidic explanation of this Mishnah and it dissects every single part of the Mishnah. 
So let's go ahead and look at it. First, let's back up a moment. Does anyone know which is the first documented machloket that there is in the Bible? What is the first separation that we have in the Bible? Interesting enough, on the second day of creation, what happened? And God said, let's separate the waters. There was all of a sudden upper waters and there was lower waters. By the way, the separation is considered so sincere by God that on that day, it's the only day of the six days of creation where God did not say, and it was good. Why so? Because according to Kabbalah, Monday, the separation of the waters is actually the source of sin. Because the definition of sin is to separate yourself from God, creator and creation being separated. Mitzvah means to connect. To connect and make one. The sin is the opposite. So the source of a person being able to sin all took place in the first separation that ever took place, which was the act of God. And God said, let the waters be separated. And the waters were separated. However, what happened on the next day? On the next day, Tuesday, all of a sudden, we have twice, and God said it was good. That means even though Monday was separation, and they did not say it was good, however, Tuesday, which was part A, the completion of what the separation is all about, God said, and it was good, and then it goes on to the Tuesday's creation, and God said on that too, it was good. So what do we see here? What we see here is that the reason for the separation, the reason for machloket on the second day was only for the sake of the higher unity that takes place on the third day. So even though the first, the first definition of separation is so bad that God refuses to say on that day, and it was good, Nevertheless, the intention was this next day, which was Tuesday, where God says twice, and it was good. So that's what happens. Now the question, of course, is, why do we need a separation in order to have a higher unity? Why do we need that? <laughs> After you fight... Then you become best friends. <laughs> what would be wrong if we became best friends without a fight? So here's an interesting teaching. And this is what the title's all about. Because only through holy war can we actually reach true love. Let's talk about what happened on before Monday. Before God separated the waters, Kabbalah says creation was mayim bemayim. Water in water. What does that mean? What it means is that before Monday's separation of the waters, creation lived hidden within its source and within the paradigm of its source. This is called in the Kabbalah language, which is Aramaic, not Hebrew, Alma de Iskasya. Translated in English, that's the hidden worlds. 
That means that the world, creations, are hidden within their source, within divinity. There is no identity of the creation. It's as the ray is within the sun. The ray of sun within the sun has no identity. It's, that would be light in light. Here we're talking about water in water, same notion. So therefore, amongst the hidden creations, the unity that exists between the creation and creator in the hidden worlds is done through the silence of the creations within their source. That's it. However, what happens? God goes ahead and separates the waters. That means he creates revealed worlds. What does revealed worlds mean? Revealed worlds means that the creation is no more hidden and silenced within its source. All of a sudden, the creations have their own identity. God allowed for them to have their own identity. And what comes, my dear friends, with your own identity? The most important thing of all, freedom of choice. When you're silenced within your source, you don't have an identity. You don't have an identity. You don't have freedom of choice. But when God separated the waters and he created what we call in Kabbalah, Alma de Escalia, the revealed worlds, what do we have now? We have now creatures with an identity of I am a creature. True, a creature of God, but I am a creature. And that gives me the freedom of choice. Now, what happens when a creature with freedom of choice freely chooses to unite with the oneness of God? That is a far higher unity than the unity of the hidden creatures which have no identity, which have no say. It's just amen. That's all. Amen. The amen without being able to have an opinion. I don't mean to start out with the women here, right? But the man over here will understand me. Honey, is it funny? It's funny. Okay, it's funny. You understand what happens there? That's uh, the famous Jackie Mason line. There is no peace and unity there. But when you have an opinion, and you're given the right to have an opinion, and your identity, and your personal boundaries, and you freely choose to become one, that is the higher peace. But you won't have that higher peace until you're allowed to have your personal boundaries and separation. Thus we see that a relationship of true love depends upon separation. If I don't know where I end and you begin, we don't have unity. We have a mess. But if I am I and you are you and we choose to live in peace, now we're talking the power of the third day. So the whole purpose of the second day was to reach the third day. So even though on the second day God would not say and it was good because separation is a source of sin. However, on the third day, with the divine intention of separation reached actuality, God gives a double and it was good. Okay? Now that we understand this and we understand what the definition of the separation which is for the sake of heaven meaning that we're talking about the separation which is not for the sake of separation it's not for the sake of one dominating the other 
It's for a, for a purpose and intention that two can equally freely choose to become one. Now we understand what the Mishnah means. L'shem Shamayim. You know, not that I want to play on this because civil war isn't good, but sometimes the history of America we can reflect upon. Only a civil war can bring to true equality and unity where the perceived inferior can be identified rather than to be swallowed by its perceived superior. And then, once we have that civil war which allows the inferior to have its identity, only then can we have the true democratic form of unity, freedom, and oneness. So what we're hearing here is, in this Kabbalistic interpretation of what took place on Monday and was solidified on Tuesday, is that the seed of separation with the intention for the seed of a higher unity was planted in creation and made possible for creation on the original Monday and Tuesday of the six days of creation. Now let's go back to the Mishnah. There's a famous, famous sage. He's called the Maral of Prague. And the Maral of Prague's name was Yehuda Lo Ben Bitzalel. He was very famous as the Maral of Prague, and he wrote a commentary on the book of Ethics of Our Fathers, and the book of his commentary is called Dera Chaim, The Way of Life. And he has a very simple, practical question on this Mishnah. His question is, why did the Mishnah pick the two sages, Hillel and Shammai? Those are the only two sages that argue in the Talmud. <laughs> the Talmud is the ultimate favorite Jewish pastime. Every page has 40 arguments. So why Hillel and Shammai? That's the morale of Prague's question. Okay? We're going to go ahead and, and focus on this question. But to understand this, I want to just share with you an interesting insight. The definition of that the argument of Hillel and Shammai will endure is explained that in the times of Mashiach, we will switch the ruling. Today, we follow the opinion of Hillel. How many candles do we light on the first night of Hanukkah? One. The second night? Two. Right? All the way to the eighth night, which is eight. That's the opinion of Hillel. The opinion of Shammai is that you go on the first night and light eight, next night seven, next night six. So as you know, today, whose ruling do we always follow? The ruling of Hillel. When Mashiach comes, because theirs was an argument for the sake of heaven, you should know that it's going to switch. Parenthetically speaking, this is a huge problem. Because we know that when Mashiach comes, nothing in the Torah will change. The Torah is eternal. It is the masterpiece of God. It's not going to change when Mashiach comes. So how are we going to switch the ruling from Hillel to Shammai? It's a very simple explanation the Rebbe Blessed Memory gives. The ruling of the Talmud is that if a courthouse of a greater quantity and quality of rabbis come, they can reverse the ruling of the previous courthouse which was inferior in quality and quantity. When Mashiach comes, we're going to have the courthouse with the resurrection of Moses and Aaron and everyone. We're going to have the courthouse of the greatest quantity and quality. 
Therefore, according to the Talmudic ruling, they have the right to reverse the ruling of the Talmud. And we're going to go from Hillel to Shammai. But be it as it may, this argument of Hillel and Shammai will endure even in the times of Mashiach. And why? Because their argument was for the sake of heaven. And because it was for the sake of heaven, they will endure. And now, let us focus on what the definition of an argument, a separation for the sake of heaven is. What did we say about Monday and Tuesday? The definition of an argument that's for the sake of heaven is an argument that's not looking to endure. The definition of an argument for the sake of heaven is that it's a separation which serves as the foundation to a higher unity. So what's going on here with this endurance of the argument of Hillel and Shammai? And why again do we pick specifically Hillel and Shammai? So, here's the explanation, my friends. Hillel and Shammai, which have a huge, a huge amount of arguments in the Talmud. An unbelievable amount of arguments in the Talmud. They argue about almost anything you can think of. The way we make Abdullah when it falls out on Saturday night going into holiday, holiday into Saturday night. That famous Yak Nahaz, Yayin Kiddush, Ner Abdullah's man. We do a whole Mishka over there. We do the Borpir Gafun. We make Kiddush on the holiday coming. We make Abdullah on the holiday leaving. All of that is an argument between Shammai and Hillel. They argue about everything. Everything. How you wash your hands at the table. How you deal with the crumbs on the table. They argue about everything. But in essence... We're taught that they really only have one argument and it's not about details. It's actually an argument between the two divine forces of the universe. Hillel is always lenient because Hillel is the manifestation of kindness and thus he is always lenient. Shammai is always strict because he's the manifestation of the Svirat HaGvura, of the emanation of strictness. And therefore their argument is a very fundamental argument. Now listen to what the argument is. The argument of Shammai is that we need to have strictness. Why do we need to have strictness? Because if we're not going to have the person make a total self-refinement and perfect himself, in order to draw down the divinity, then the divinity will not be his. It's only if he works on it that he can own it. And the definition of own it means that it should be digestible and one with him. When you hear an overwhelming lecture, the guy is throwing at you all the great levels of Kabbalah and you feel the, the levitation going on in the room, you're lost. You go home, wow, was that a class? Really, what did he say? I don't know. But it was awesome. Because you didn't work on it. You didn't open yourself up and work hard to figure it out and digest it. Whoever the lecturer was, he just wowed you and overwhelmed you. Rather, when a person has to work on himself to be able to earn the divinity, what happens then? I earned it. I refined myself for it. This wasn't a gift that fell down like manna from the heaven. I had to work hard on myself to find God, to find my divinity, to find my connection with God. And all that hard work allows you to own it 
and it should become one with you. Thus, Shammai argues we need to follow the ruling of strictness. Comes along Hillel and says, no, 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 no. You see, when you work only according to your capacity, then you're only going to be able to draw down a finite divinity in a source that interacts with you, right? It's going to be a cause and effect. Any level of divinity which have an effect to my cause means it's finite and it interacts with me. Therefore, what does he say? Hillel says we need to have the type of divinity which is a gift of kindness from above because that type of divinity is infinite. And if it's infinite, it can allow itself to permeate even the lowest Netherlands. So what's going on here? Hillel is saying better to have kindness because then it will completely, infinitely permeate us. It will reach to the lowest levels. While what is Hillel saying? I'm sorry, Shammai. What is Shammai saying? Shammai is saying no. If you're going to deal with the infinite because it wasn't you, it was a gift. And you know, by the way, when you have children, teenagers, you make them work for something, they take care of it. If it's a gift. So there's the argument between Hillel and Shammai. Now I ask of you, my friends, what makes this argument the real argument, the dispute, the separation for the sake of heaven? You know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. Neither Hillel nor Shammai want to be single-handedly right. Because Hillel realizes that there's a virtue to what Shammai is saying. Shammai realizes that there's a virtue to what Hillel is saying. So ultimately speaking, Hillel and Shammai don't want either one of them to single-handedly win. They realize that they must have each other to truly experience the full power of divinity. There's got to be both from below above, me reaching up, working on myself, and there's got to be the open acceptance from the above shining down below. By the way, just that you should know, Hillel and Shammai were not the first two sages that manifested this power of these two universal divine forces, but the first two people that actually experienced this was Moses and Aaron. Moses was the ultimate judge. They came to him to give us the ruling. The ruling is judgment. What did Aaron do for a living? What do we say in the Mishnah? Be from the disciples of Aaron. Aaron pursued peace. Aaron went and tried to make peace between a husband and a wife, between two business people, between two friends. So Aaron was what? Aaron was the definition of kindness. We need to go ahead and shine. We need to draw down the divinity. What is, he, what is Moshe saying? Moshe is Moshe emet viterato emet. Moses is truth. Truth is strictness, justice. And nevertheless, what was Moses' job? Moses' job was to receive the Torah from above, i.e. kindness. And the job of Aaron, sacrifices, was to represent prayer, which is from below above. So you see that they were complementing each other. It wasn't my way or the highway. That wasn't the argument, not of Hillel and Shammai, not of Monday and Tuesday, and not of Moses and Aaron. 
Their fight was that we need each other. Moses needs Aaron, Aaron needs Moses. Hillel needs Shammai, Shammai needs Hillel. And therefore the dispute endures. Why does it endure? Because one doesn't swallow up the other one. There is no one right and one wrong. Hillel is begging for Shammai to complete him and Shammai is begging for Hillel to complete him. And thus we see that in the times of Mashiach there's this conversation of what kind of stone there's going to be. One is the one that comes from brilliant from above and the other one is polished from below. And what does God say? Let them both exist because you need them both. You need to be open to the infinite kindness of above which isn't limited by your finite capacity of refinement. But then you also need it to be permeated, owned, and become one with you through the hard work of the finite human being refining him or herself attribute by attribute, personality effect by personality effect. So now we understand what this Mishnah means. Let me take it one step further. I told you the English translations for the sake of heaven. But if you look at the real Hebrew words, Lishem Shemayim, Shem means a name. Shemayim means heaven. In Kabbalah, Shemayim represents the six, the divine six masculine emotions. And the Shem, the name, represents the feminine Malchut, the name, feminine manifestation, the emanation. Now what happens here? Now read the words. What is the argument they're having? L'shem shamayim. To connect the male emanations that come from above with the feminine mystique that comes from below and to make them both one. The aggressiveness of the male without the feminine magic of Shabbat mystique won't work. And the same vice versa. And thus the week is made up of both the six workdays and the Shabbat day. So what is the true dispute? The true dispute is to embrace both. The Shem, the feminine, the feminine power of the Malchut, and the masculine power of what we call Zah, the above, below, below, above, strictness, kindness, and make it one. Because each on its own lacks and therefore one enhances the other. Now let's go back to our friend of Korach. You know what, before we go back to our friend of Korach, let's just make this for a second very practical. We all deal with relationships. The pretty ones and the not pretty ones. The ones that give energy, the ones that sap out of you energy. What is the definition of a real, real, real relationship? What is the definition of true love? The definition of true love depends upon separation. The definition of true love is before you and I become one, you need to define your personal boundaries of you, and I need to define the personal boundaries of I. If not, we don't have a relationship. I'm not looking to be in a relationship where I have to swallow you, nor am I looking to be in a relationship to be swallowed by you. So the definition of a relationship that we're learning, which is for the sake of heaven, is first, I need to step back and define myself. I need to be able to have my identity, my personal boundaries, and I need to make sure that you accept me for who I am, 
and not for who you think you can make me be. And the same happens for the other. You cannot have a Tuesday without a Monday. You can't have true love without a holy war. But now we understand the definition of a holy war. The holy war says, let us separate. Let us first have our own identities, our own personal boundaries. Let me know who I am. Let me know who you are. Let you know who I am. Let you know who you are. Once you have the Monday, once you have the separations, only then can you then come into the endurance of for the sake of heaven. Only then can we freely choose to both enhance each other and be enhanced by each other and truly live as one. Now let's look at Korach. To understand Korach, we need to see what Moses tells Korach after Korach presents his argument. I'm going to read you the words. Moses said to Korach, Please listen, sons of Levi. It is, not an, is it not enough that God of Israel has distinguished you from the congregation of Israel to draw you near to him, to perform the services in the temple of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? He drew you near and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And now you seek the kahuna, the priesthood as well? What is Moses telling him? God gave you your definition. God gave you your personal boundaries. God gave you to be who you are. But that's not enough for you. You don't want to just be who you are. You want there should be no one else but who you are. You want to be the Levi and the high priest. You want there should only exist strictness, perfection, truth, justice. It won't work that way. And that's why the Mishnah proclaims that the separation of Korach was for the sake of separation. And therefore it was not for the sake of heaven. Because the only sake of separation which is for the sake of heaven is the separation with the intent of the ultimate unity. First, let's separate, you be you, I be I, and then let's unite where you are you and I are I, and we choose to be together. That's not what Korach wanted. Korach wanted that there should be no right and left. There should be no kindness and strictness. There should be no Kohen and Levi. He wanted only one. That's not for the sake of heaven, and such a war cannot endure. So now we understand what's the definition for the sake of heaven, what's not the definition for the sake of heaven. We understand why before unity there must be separation. Never get into a relationship before you know who you are and before the other person knows who you are, before the other person knows who he or she is, and before the other person knows who you are. Don't get into a relationship where there is no prelude of separation but once you have that prelude of separation and the point of knowing who you are and letting the other person know who you are and the same vice versa is for the sake of you to have freedom of choice to choose to live as one that is L'Shem Shamayim that is what endures so people in closing 
Seek unity, my friends. In closing, seek out yourself only so that you may see the beauty it brings out in the contrast with others. Seek out yourself so that you can unite, so that you can unite with others, enhancing them and allowing them to enhance you. That's all for tonight, people.